This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. A good Friday to you, and uh, thanks for joining us here on Real Talk, whether you're catching this live on uh, YouTube or streaming the audio on Mixler or catching it later. This is an episode where you essentially are going to sit down with uh, the decision makers in some of Alberta's biggest population centers, as well as some communities you may not know much about. In just a second, we'll lead off with Edmonton's Mayor Amarjeet Sohi, who's just delivered his State of the City address this week to a packed house at the Edmonton Convention Center. The speech delivered in the midst of an election campaign and... Some tough headlines for Edmonton. Edmonton not alone, though, as many big cities and, hey, let's be honest, rural communities across the country grapple with rising rates of violent crime. They're trying to figure out what to do about it. What does Mayor Sohi think the answer is? We'll talk to him about our conversation yesterday with the Minister of Emergency Preparedness, the Honorable Bill Blair, who was here and get a more localized perspective. And then the Alberta Municipalities Roundtable is back. I don't have to tell you that in 87 ridings across the province of Alberta, candidates are going door to door, knocking, answering questions, trying to get those lawn signs up. They're trying to earn your vote. What do the mayors of St. Albert, Wetaskiwin, and Alberta Beach believe are the most important campaign promises for their communities? And what do you think the answer to that question is for you? We'll be looking to our live chat. We'll be looking to our hashtag RealTalkRJ on Twitter through the course of today's show. And we'd love for you to chime in. Then some fun as we wrap up this episode. Northwest Fest, Canada's longest running documentary film festival. They call it the nonfiction film festival. It wraps tonight with a sold out screening of the Lebanese Burger Mafia. We're going to talk to filmmaker Omar Mualim here in studio about the amazing, hilarious, confusing, perplexing, one-of-a-kind story of the history of the Burger Baron burger outlets that's all coming up on this episode of real talk which is presented by our friends at we know training learner fraud forged certificates uncredentialed workers all pose significant risks to organizations potentially resulting in legal liabilities reputational damage and of course a workforce that quite frankly lacks the necessary skills and qualifications to succeed that's why it's critical to partner with a trusted provider like we know training now, we know training, they're dedicated to helping organizations mitigate these risks and build a competent, skilled workforce. Their industry-leading learner verification and digital credential solutions enable you to easily verify learners, issue and share credentials, and set up automated reminders to ensure that your workforce remains compliant and up-to-date. By partnering with We Know Training, you can save valuable time and resources. You can reduce administrative burdens and ensure that your organization is always one step ahead of the competition. So why wait? Contact We Know Training today to learn how they can help you take your workforce to the next level at weknowtraining.ca. Always great to have guests in studio, most especially when they're, you know, kind of a big deal. The mayor of Edmonton, Amarjeet Sohi, joining us just 
what, 150 meters, I think, from from where you delivered uh, a raucous and crowd-pleasing T-shirt toss uh, to the hundreds, if not thousands, of people in attendance at the so-called Moss Pit uh-huh. uh, during Game 4 of the Edmonton Oilers playoff run. How fun is it to be in the mayor's office, to, to, to have the position of, of privilege and leadership that you do through a playoff run with at least two of the world's best well, hockey players? Well, it's not as fun as watching Oilers win, yeah, okay. right? But it's fun. Being a mayor is a, is a cool job. Uh, I I really enjoy it. Uh, I I think uh, our city is uh, heading in the right direction. We are making significant changes. Uh, uh, how we deliver services, how we need to improve uh, core services that Edmontonians rely on, how we make them more equitable, that all Edmontonians are able to access those. Uh, those services and how we help grow our economy, how we create conditions that Edmonton becomes a city to attract investment from local and national and international investors and how we make our city to be inclusive, welcoming, uh, a compassionate place uh, uh, for everyone. So uh, uh, your city council that Edmontonians elected uh, in October 2021 works very, very hard. All of us uh, get up in the morning with the commitment to uh, make our city a better place for everyone this this moss pit this area outside rogers place for people that don't know exactly people that maybe aren't from edmonton it's a, it's a big huge gathering spot johnny's showing our viewers on youtube some video some behind the scenes video uh-huh. of you with your your crowd pleasing t-shirt toss just a while ago johnny says he nailed it didn't he the mayor did pretty well on that t-shirt toss he, he did, did right. really good on the t-shirt toss he also was one goal away with his prediction he predicted a four nothing win so <laughs> the record, he does it. there you go a bit, right. yeah looking into your crystal ball with with some success uh the, that and that, my that, second that, guess was four one. Oh sure everybody yeah, says their yeah, second yeah, guess yeah. was the one yeah that's right um, <laughs> <laughs> that area uh of downtown to me has has told a couple of stories in the last couple of weeks one of them good one of them bad mm-hmm. one of them has shown what can happen when people are drawn to the downtown and, and what happens is that it infuses energy it's a real shot in the arm for local businesses obviously bars and restaurants and hotels and everything else the playoff run is one of the things mm-hmm. that can accomplish that and it's been amazing for us nearby mm-hmm. to see that energy back in a city center that that hasn't necessarily had it then on the flip side there's been some tough stuff right that the, the police have had to respond to obviously you know there, there's been a couple stabbings down there somebody trying to bite folks fingers off i mean just absolute madness and it, and, and, it, and it seems to me uh, to tell the story of a bigger challenge, which is that violent crime rates are up, not just in Edmonton, but certainly in Edmonton mm-hmm. and across urban centers uh, across Canada. So how are you approaching something like that? I mean, these are very real pressing and, and, and issues, quite frankly, that make people not feel safe. Oh, absolutely. Uh, safety, uh, particularly safety in public places, uh, has become a real concern over the uh, last number of years, particularly coming out of COVID. Uh, we have have seen uh, uh, less people coming into uh, urban uh, into uh, districts like downtown. Uh, less people working in uh, in downtown. Uh, less activities happening in the downtown. So it's very important that we uh, not only focus on vibrancy uh, and creating more uh, excitement for the downtown, but we also focus on uh, some of the social disorder that the people see and and tackle the societal issues of houselessness, mental health, and the addictions, uh, trauma that our community members are are facing. So that's where we are focused on. We need to have a holistic approach to uh, community safety and well-being. I think we are on the right track, absolutely. Uh, more needs to be done. Uh, our partners uh, that are... Uh, 
that have a huge role to play, such as province and the federal government, uh, I would say have uh, have worked with us, but not to the level that we would like to see them to be uh, stepping up to uh, filling the gaps in um, in housing, filling the gaps in mental health, uh, or do undertaking some of the reforms that dangerous people are not on the street, right? So uh, a lot needs to be done, uh, uh, but we uh, we will continue to do what we can do as a, as a municipality and continue to ask our partners to step up when you when you look at at a downtown that, that just i don't know it just doesn't reflect what you'd hope a downtown looks like mm-hmm. and, and i'm not pointing fingers at anybody obviously there's been a ton of different factors the pandemic was massive yeah. there's trends and people working from home right now mm-hmm. people are working from home they're obviously not going to their favorite lunch spots they're not going to their favorite lunch spots there's not the street traffic i mean yada 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 it's yeah. kind of this compounding effect you and 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 the you know the chair of the downtown business association you know the directors and and people in charge of the Edmonton chamber no, no one's going to throw up their hands and give up obviously no, no one's ever going to call this a lost cause but it is a pretty significant task if if you look at the work that needs to be done these this campaign the meet me downtown campaign that's just launched this week i mean really trying to convince people yeah. to to rethink their relationship with with downtown if I ask you, can you get there? Of course, you're going to say yes. So let me ask you, how do you get there? Uh, of course, I, I would say we are getting there. Situation is getting better. Uh, uh, we uh, The safety in downtown is improving. Safety on public transit uh, is getting better. Uh, not to the level that we would like to see. Uh, uh, let me highlight some of the things that we are doing in order to improve safety. First first of all, we uh, have increased the police funding uh, in 2023. At the same time, a significant decision made by this council was to stabilize police funding. Police used to rely quite a bit on photo radar and auto and auto, uh, auto traffic enforcement revenue. That was close to $22 million that they were relying on, and that revenue is very unpredictable. It goes up and down. So what we have done instead of... Uh, uh, you know, continue to create that uncertainty for police. We have given them, we have replaced that photo radar revenue with tax levy revenue. That's a twenty-two million dollars ongoing investment in the police service uh, that helped them stabilize and plan for the long term. We have also doubled the number of transit peace officers. We had close to 56. We will be up to 118 in the uh, next couple of months. We have increased the, uh, 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 the the social workers that work with the transit peace officer from two teams to seven teams. Uh, and they're out there connecting people to services. We housed 1,600 people who were houseless in 2022. Now they have a place to call home. Uh, so we are doing what we can. But these are societal challenges. These are healthcare challenges. These are public health challenges that we are facing. And we need to look at the root causes. We need to look at why are people dying on the streets uh, with overdose. We had 726 Edmontonians die in 2022 because they have no place to go and they are using drugs on the street. They're causing harm to themselves. They're causing harm to society, to neighbors, and to businesses. Uh, and they are dying because they, there's no support system. In Is that 726 it. drug poisoning deaths? That, you specifically? That, these are overdose deaths in 2022. So at, two per day? Yes, absolutely. Right, And then uh, uh, if you talk to Boyle Street Community Services, uh, uh, they recorded 51 people dying this year. 
the people they were serving. These are the houseless people who had no, no place to go, right? So along with violent crime that we're seeing, uh, horrific crime that we have seen in Millwoods uh, uh, and also in Inglewood, in uh, uh, in Chinatown last year, right? So along with the violent crime, people are dying because they have no support system in place, right? So it's a crisis that we're facing. It's a crisis that uh, city alone cannot tackle. That is why I always encourage or call upon our provincial partners and federal partners to uh, to do more. We need to invest more in supportive housing. We need more treatment facilities. Uh, we need uh, more interventions in harm reduction. We need interventions in uh, in in the toxic supply of drugs that are uh, that are people consuming because uh, because they're so addicted and. Uh, uh, and, and they have no, no other choices, right? So I think it's a crisis that we all need to work together to tackle. For people that, that maybe aren't right here in Edmonton that aren't familiar with some of these stories, these are gut-wrenching stories. A mother and her young daughter stabbed to death yeah. outside Crawford Plains School just a short time ago. Yeah. The the uh, the suspect in that case shot by police, as, as mm -hmm. a matter of fact, announced that he just died uh, last night, if you're listening to this on Friday. Um, three major incidents, a random incident uh, at a bus stop, an attack on a young person at Millwood's rec center. Um, you know, interesting to hear from Edmonton's police, their position on this on the record. Um, violent crime rates in Edmonton up 16 and a half, almost 17 percent mm -hmm. year over year, yeah. which is pretty significant. And the Edmonton police, uh, per statement, uh, quote, we have a correlation. We know that we've had a large change fundamentally in the way that we deal with bail and violent crime. They're talking about Bill C-75, a, a federal bill, a big one that the liberal government passed in 2019, uh, aimed at reducing judicial delay, uh, delays, modernizing the bail system and reducing overrepresentation of racialized people in, in jails. The official opposition, uh, the Poliev led conservatives uh, have heavily criticized this, uh, talking about it as an overly lenient bail system in Canada. In other mm. words, people are getting out when they shouldn't be out. You know, dangerous repeat offenders are being released. We saw a promise from Danielle Smith, leader of the UCP, that if they do form government, they'll be introducing ankle bracelets uh, for violent offenders, repeat offenders that are out on bail. What do you, what do you make of the, of the police, Edmonton police mm -hmm. position on this and, and and bigger picture, including what I just said about Danielle Smith? Yeah, I know we hear from police all the time and we hear from community members that people are being released into the community uh, from correctional facilities, provincial and federal. Uh, that have no people who should not be released without a proper plan in place. I'll go back to the two murders in Chinatown. That person was released from a remand center, provincial remand center, and that person was not supposed to be in Edmonton. Uh, but his housing plan failed, uh, fall, fell, uh, fell off. I believe he was in Alberta yeah. Beach, wasn't yeah, he? Like he was we, in, we've got like their he, mayor coming up. Like yeah. he, he was supposed to be in Alberta Beach, and he was staying with a family member. That arrangement fell apart, and he was picked, by the, picked up by the RCMP, dropped off in Edmonton, and two days later, he committed crime or alleged to have committed crime. He, murdered, he alleged to have murdered two people in Chinatown, right? Uh, the fellow who um, uh, killed uh, mom and daughter at Crawford Plains School, uh, a school that is very near, dear to my heart because our daughter went to that school. And I have friends uh, who teach there. Uh, uh, and, and that fellow uh, either should have been in a mental treatment facility uh, or he should have been, uh, uh, you know, somewhere uh, in 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 the in the jail system that he would that he he posed a danger to society. So system is failing. 
system is failing at various levels and and we need to have a uh, have serious questions raised about uh, the role of the mental health uh, the role of uh, uh, the judicial system the role of the correctional system and we have people being released from hospitals ryan who have no place to go and they end up on the street and they die on the street because they have no place to go right so it's a it's, it's a serious issue that we're facing and uh, and i i have been uh, doing what i can uh, ever since i got elected our council has been doing what we can collectively uh, we are investing in housing we are investing in uh, in day shelters we are investing in uh, in in shelter spaces during evenings and nights and uh, uh, and we are investing in police we are investing in bylaw officers uh, but there's only so much we can do until the system systems are fixed and systems are really failing us you're talking about systems uh we talk about the bigger picture we talk about community um bill blair uh, before he was a federal mp before he was minister of emergency preparedness obviously he was the chief of police in toronto uh for 10 years he joined us on the show yesterday i asked him about mm-hmm. the federal government's position yep. on this and about the problem uh, around uh, perception or the reality uh, that many many members of the public just don't feel safe right now. And here's what he said on Real Talk yesterday. I understand people's concerns. I've, lived, I've worked on this my entire life. And I don't think there's any higher responsibility for any order of government of any party than to keep its citizens safe. And when people become fearful, I think fear is the greatest enemy of public safety. And and, and what we're seeing in our cities right across Canada is people are afraid. They're, they're, they're afraid to take their kids to go shopping on Main Street, take their kids to the park. They're afraid to go in, in their neighborhood and, and, and engage with their neighbors. And when that happens... Our communities become less safe. And so one of the works that we all have to do together is to create a sense of safety and real safety in our communities so that so that you know, the, I think the, the, the greatest protection against this type of criminal behavior is, is well-functioning neighborhoods and, and communities where people are and can feel safe. Is there kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy there where, where the more you talk about how communities aren't safe or the more you talk about how downtown is so dangerous, the more dangerous it becomes because people just don't go there. I think there's a, <clears throat> there's a, there's a cycle that, uh, you know, if we keep on uh, uh, repeating things that people start believing them. Yes, there are real issues. I am not, I will never undermine, uh, uh, underestimate those, uh, those challenges. Uh, but less people coming downtown means, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the community in downtown is not going to be as safe as uh, it need to be, right? So eyes on the street absolutely uh, help with particularly the the social disorder that we are seeing in uh, in the downtown or in the Chinatown, right? So, uh, but at the same time, we need to invest in the real solutions, uh, and we should be relying on experts. We should be talking to more people who know the real reasons and who have tangible solutions. Uh, sometimes we politicize uh, uh, the solutions or politicize one particular solution over the other. I think we should be actually relying on experts to uh, uh, to give us the guidance and uh, and making sure that we are following uh, the tested and, uh, and uh, the solutions that work. Can you think of an example of where you think this is being overly politicized? I, I, uh, let's look at uh, the lack of investments in, uh, in harm reduction, right? Uh, we know that harm reduction works. Uh, uh, experts will tell you that people who are using drugs on the streets, um, uh, drugs that are poisonous, right? If they have a place to go where they can manage their addiction and get treatment or at least referred to treatment, stabilize their lives, 
it helps. It helps make a community safe. It saves lives. It reduces disorder. Uh, but it, unfortunately, harm reduction is overly politicized, right? So, uh, uh, and I think that's why it's so important that we base our decisions based on the best evidence coming from public health experts. I want to let everybody know that, that coming up next week on Tuesday morning, I'll be talking to journalist Adam Zivo, who published a piece in the National Post this week. Uh, describing what he deems to be a drug fail. He says the liberal government's safer supply is fueling a new opioid crisis. Uh, we asked Minister Blair about that yesterday, and of course we'll talk about this in, in more fulsome fashion next week when Zevo joins here's, me. Here's the we'll challenge, though. There's that. no safer supply available in Canada. Where is safer supply available in Canada? Well, can I say big picture, all of this conversation? We'll yeah. get into this with Adam next yeah. week. This is a, and, and Minister Blair said it yesterday. I mean, he, if I can paraphrase, he said, you can't police your way out of an opioid yeah. crisis. So what are we talking about? We're talking about health care. This is kind of going to be a bit of a BS yeah. exchange here because you and I, I think, see eye to eye on this. So, yeah. But like where, in, in what other avenue or area of health care do we allow members of the public and politicians to determine the best course of action? Yeah. We don't go to members of the public to ask about the best way to deal with type 2 diabetes or to deal with heart disease or to deal with cancer care. We don't. We look to the experts. We look to evidence, research, yeah. statistics statistics best practices but we can't do that with harm reduction because it does get torqued and, and i understand why because it's easy it's yeah. an easy political hammer to use yeah. the federal government or the ndp or whoever else you know insert party here wants to give you or wants to give people free drugs i mean yeah. that that's that's a horribly simplistic way of characterizing harm yeah. reduction and it does a disservice i mean Two people in edmonton you're telling me two people in edmonton are dying every single day from drug poisoning you know, can you imagine if it was an issue with our water supply? I mean, geez, indigenous communities right now are going to go, mm -hmm. yeah, us, please. Thank you. Yeah. Raise their hands right now. But if there was something else going on that was killing two people in the city every single day, 365 days a year, people might take it more seriously. Yeah. So we have solutions. It's not that we don't have solutions. Uh, solutions that are tested, that are evidence-based. For example, permanently funded supportive housing with wraparound services help. If you house people, help them stabilize their lives, they get better. And there's evidence to suggest that it works. It worked in Edmonton, it continues to work in Edmonton, continues to work in other areas. What we need to do is uh, scale up those solutions. We need to less invest more in uh, in permanently permanently funded supportive housing with the uh, mental health support system is in in place and we will end up making our communities safer we will help people get better uh, and the overall well-being of our society is going to improve uh, this has uh, been a tough story for me to wrap my mind around, and I know for a lot of people as well, uh, an, an indigenous teen that, that was kicked in the head uh, in 2020 uh, during an arrest by Edmonton police, Pacey Dumas was mm -hmm. left with a, uh, a, a, pardon me, long lasting, if not permanent injuries, rather a hole in his skull. Uh, uh, an ACERT, which is, uh, you know, Alberta Serious Incident Response Team, I think most people know, investigate incidents involving police where there's a serious injury like this or a fatality when there's a police shooting, when there's uh, police are involved in, in basically a high profile situation. And uh, as you know, um, ACERT publicly releasing the findings of its probe into this incident, um, concluding at the, at the time, uh, this young man who was 18 at the time, um, that the officer, the arresting officer, showed, quote, a, a shocking lack of judgment and disregard for the life of Mr. Dumas. However, charges will not be laid. Uh, 
you were pretty candid uh, from your Twitter account. Uh, and I'll read this for people that aren't watching on YouTube. You tweeted the process of having ACERT investigate incidents of police misconduct is an important accountability measure. It's incredibly frustrating to to read in the report that there are very clear findings of the investigation. They're not able to result in charges from the Alberta Crown Prosecutor's Office. You say the lack of alignment within these organizations is troubling. Uh, you'll be reaching out to Minister Ellis, provincial minister, to discuss how to ensure that these processes are reviewed as quickly as possible. You say, I know that many of you are disappointed. You could have said outraged. With the outcome of this investigation, you say, I hear you. I am saddened for Pacey's family today. Take us into this. Have you reached out to the minister? I mean, obviously, I know everybody's campaigning right now. The yeah. province is on fire. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but but up to the minute here, where's the story? So, uh, first of all, my heart goes out to Casey and his family. It's this is a horrifying, horrifying situation to see that a young boy uh, kicked in the head and the ACERT investigation found the police officers to be uh, uh, to be uh, it, it, using, uh, you know, uh, excessive force. Uh, and uh, uh, it's so disappointing that charges would not be laid because of that. Again, the system is, is, is failing. I know vast majority of our police officers give their best. Uh, to make our communities safe. They're out there serving our, uh, our communities and uh, they put their lives in risk and, uh, and few people who use excessive force tarnish their reputation as well, right? So the system must work to, uh, to, uh, to have that accountability and, uh, and protect the reputation of vast majority of, uh, uh, police officers. Uh, so it, what we, where we are, we are working with the police commission on, uh, on this and we want to make sure that, uh, the system is fixed, uh, that people who do, you know, police officers who do violate, uh, uh, community expectations, people who, police officers who do violate, uh, uh, their duty, uh, are held accountable. And in this case, uh, charges should have been laid, uh, but they were not, right? Uh, why? I don't know. That's the question that we have to raise to the minister, and we will be doing that right after the election. Devastating injury, a hole in his skull. Witnesses say that his head was kicked like a soccer ball. Uh, it's a it's an appalling story. Um, these are always tough ones, too. And, and, and I don't, you know, sometimes I, I hesitate to combine different stories together, and, and I'm not trying to sort of create a combustible scenario, but you get a... You, you get an outpouring of grief, and rightfully so, uh, when two Edmonton police officers are gunned down responding oh. to a call. It's a horrific story. Uh, you know, the city, the nation mourns the loss of these yeah. two officers. Everybody understands the role that, that police play in society, and, and, and they back the blue, and they show. And then you have a story like this running parallel where people are going, where's the accountability? What the hell is going on? And, and, and the city is the population here. These real people are grappling with both of these situations at the same time. And I don't blame people for having conflicting feelings and trying to reconcile it in their own minds, you know, let alone well, no, talking to each uh, absolutely. other. Absolutely. You know, uh, 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 we lost to, uh, you know, beloved constables in, in the line, line of duty. Yeah. Uh, they gave their lives to protect our city. And, uh, and again, when you look at that case, Ryan, system failed. The fellow who have um, killed those two police officers, including his uh, his own mom, was struggling with mental health issues, mm. and he was in in a, 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 my a, my understanding that uh, uh, that he was uh, apprehended earlier on under the Mental Health Act or 
some sort of intervention was there. Again, why was he on the street? Like, why was he there uh, posing harm to his family and to our police officers uh, and carrying a gun? Where did he get the gun from? Mm -hmm. right? So, again, there's a lot of questions that we need to raise. And again, systems are not working. Systems that we have in place in um, in the in the healthcare, in the mental health issue uh, system, in the in the judicial system, in uh, uh, in the correctional systems is, is not working together. It's a, it's a failure and it's causing harm to our communities. Let me ask you this in closing. I appreciate you jumping all over the place yeah. with regards to the focus of our conversation, but it's been an announcement this week uh, as the River Valley Alliance has unveiled a new name mm -hmm. uh, for the longest River Valley pedestrian trail in North America. The, the trail's name was gifted in a ceremony by Elder Jerry Saddleback. Mm -hmm. uh, the name Omsquichi Omescanau yeah. uh, or Beaver Hill Road. Uh, I'm showing uh, our, our live tuning audience on YouTube here this beautiful video. We'll put it in the show notes if you want to see. Yeah. It's about five minutes. You can get the background to it. It's beautifully done. Um, you've got a big smile smeared across your face on this one. How you come? should uh, every Edmontonian should watch that video. It's so touching. It really uh, highlights the significance of the River Valley to uh, uh, Indigenous peoples uh, and how important River Valley is today and will continue to be into the future. It is the longest urban park in North America connected from one end of, uh, of a region to the other end of a region, 120 kilometer long trail system. And now naming that trail system to honor indigenous history and indigenous peoples is our, our, our way of uh, uh, moving forward on reconciliation and acknowledging that history and, and pride in, uh, uh, in, in, in our region in Treaty 6. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, when Elder... Uh, Jerry Saddleback was telling that story. Uh, he was also highlighting that trails that indigenous people traveled on, there's a story behind every trail, mm. right? And it's so remarkable. So long, part of this will be uh, highlighting some of those stories, creating plaques on the way, right? And uh, and other ways of um, uh, memorializing and, uh, and honoring the history of uh, indigenous peoples of this land. Beautifully said, Mayor. We always appreciate your availability. Uh, on the lighter side of life, you, you were just one goal off of nailing <laughs> the, the outcome of game uh, four. Uh, so the series now in Las Vegas, if people are listening to this episode on Friday, it's going to yeah. be tonight. Yes. How's it going to work out tonight for the Edmonton? Well, Oilers? I don't know. I think it's too early yet. I haven't done my calculation. Oh, now you're I, being shy? I haven't done my calculation in my head yet. Oh, right? man. So I, I, have, I have my cool yeah. bet betting app out. I Johnny's ready, ready to... to go. Johnny, you're, you're, his, uh, you're his sage on this one. Uh, hey, Mayor, thanks for coming in. Thanks, we really appreciate it. That's uh, Edmonton's Mayor Amarjeet Sohi. You can let us know about what you heard by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We're going to talk to three other Alberta mayors coming up in just a second. These conversations happen because of uh, fantastic sponsors like the Nate J.R. Shaw School of Business. Do you have dreams to build the next innovative product? You uh, Maybe solve a world problem? Do you want to lead change or grow community or transform business? Then Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business is your answer. You know, you have ideas, they have experts. You have drive, they have direction. You have purpose, they'll apply it. You have vision, they've got the roadmap. Get down to business today with Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business at nate.ca slash business. You can specialize in accounting, in data analytics, entrepreneurship and innovation, finance, hospitality management, HR management, management, marketing, 
There's a whole bunch of reasons why Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business could be your best move. You can find them online today. That's Nate J.R. Shaw School of Business. Hey, what's your plan for Mother's Day this weekend? If you're scrambling, if you've got to figure something out and quick, why not swing by a Dairy Queen of Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park? I'm talking Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road. Nothing beats a Mother's Day cake. They're ready to go right now. You can drop in, grab one ready-made, or place a custom order. You're going to want to do that ASAP. These Dairy Queen cakes, I mean, nothing compares, right? That sweet celebration, the signature fudge and crunch center surrounded by that world-famous soft serve. Celebrate, Mom. Reflect on sweet memories. Create new traditions with a DQ cake from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Gosh, do we ever love having people join us in studio. The mayor here, Omar Mualam, in just a little bit. This studio was built by the amazing team at Complete Care Restoration. They're experts in problem solving. You know, you got fire damage, you got flood damage. Of course, you got mold and asbestos removal. I mean, these are the types of situations that could be an absolute nightmare, right? Why not place that situation in the capable and trusted hands of Complete Care Restoration? Uh, You can give them a call today or just put the number in your phone. You never know when you might need it. 780-454-0776. That's Complete Care Restoration, a proud partner of Real Talk and builders of the Real Talk studio. And if you're looking for something, a construction project that's more outside, more outdoors, involves more dirt and loam and sod and wood chips than anything else, you know what I'm talking about, bringing your outdoor space to life. This is exactly what Eden Landscaping has been doing for 20 years, a custom landscape builder with on-the-ground experience. You know, you ask Mike and his team what they're most proud of, it's their referrals. It's the fact that they've got customers that have returned to Eden Landscaping through a number of different homes. The starter home, then the family expands, then they downsize. I mean, they've got these long-term relationships with families that have looked to them for work on everything from excavation, stone and woodwork, outdoor kitchens, water features, planting and removal, you name it. Eden Landscaping does it. You can get your quote today starting at landscapeedmonton.ca. I screwed up on something. Uh, the Lebanese Burger Mafia coming up on Sunday, not Friday night. Yeah, I got so, your back. I, I wonder if some people that are like, you do have my back. Uh, I wonder if some people were panicking right now all of a sudden going, wait a second. Well, we got child care for, for Sunday. What's Jesperson talking about? Omar Mualim joining me in just a second. Uh, that movie coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun, that conversation. But, but we're talking politics right now. And of course, you know, every single Friday we bring you a Real Talk Roundtable. And this is where we have a chance to check in with with people essentially that that are making change in their community that are working hard to identify the issues of importance and then understand how to address them and these three guests return guests of ours because every time they're here they resonate with the audience well they know exactly what this is all about it's a pleasure to welcome their worships i don't know if we've ever done a plural their worships before but the mayor of saint albert kathy heron we've got angela duncan the mayor of alberta beach and the mayor of Wetaskiwin, uh tyler gandam joining us uh, to the three of you a very happy friday and, and thanks for uh, joining us here on the real talk 
Roundtable. Uh, Mayor Heron, uh, you just had a chance, I'm sure, to hear a little bit from Mayor Amarjeet Sohi. We talked a lot about public safety, and, and I know that this panel, the three of you have talked about it a lot before as well. Is this enough of an election issue in your assessment? Are, are, are Albertans talking enough? Are political candidates talking enough or addressing adequately issues and concerns around public safety? I think that probably one of the biggest issues that I'm hearing about is more on the um, health is generally what we keep hearing about health and trust and leadership are the two that I keep hearing. Uh, but, but of course, public safety is very much integral and wrapped up in health. So as long as the questions on health are not just about, um, you know, surgeries and wait times, et cetera, but actually go into the other issues of mental health and addictions, then that will be very positive for public safety in Alberta. So that's a good thing. Uh, Mayor Duncan, we were, we were just talking about that that brutal situation a while back, and I know you and I have spoken about this before on the show. But but uh, the, the the murders of two men in, in Chinatown, and and it's talking, you know, it's it's got us talking about uh, bail reform, and it's got us talking about policing and, and interjurisdictional uh, policing, and, and of course the, the individual, the suspect in in that case originally, and you and I spoke about this before, was supposed to be in your community in Alberta Beach. I would imagine that that issue, uh, that story, that tragedy must have resonated uh, with residents in Alberta Beach who likely knew that family or may have known that individual in question. We're months out from that, no, uh, a good number of months out from that now. Have, have you seen an, an adequate response or change in policy? Do you, what would you tell your citizens that are going, hey, what, whatever happened with that? How, how did that tragedy resonate and impact change? Have you seen it at all? I think when it comes to policing, change is inevitably very slow. That situation in particular resonated, but I'm I'm thankful that we're not we're not focused on it. And we're not talking too much about it anymore. I have spoken with our RCMP uh, inspector, our officer in charge, about how he's handling interjurisdictional issues with the RCMP, and he has said that he's seen. A drastic improvement in how different police services are communicating with each other. The RCMP has put in new resources to ensure that various services, including the Alberta sheriffs, are are talking to each other and letting everybody know what's going on. So that's been really, really positive. I will say, though, as far as rural crime goes, we we don't hear enough about it. We hear an awful lot about what's going on in Edmonton and Calgary, and we know that they each got an announcement of 50 new officers, which will help, you know, in, in a year to 18 months down the road, but we're not hearing about issues in rural Alberta. A really good example of that is at the beginning of March, we had an armed bank robbery in Alberta Beach and our community was full of police officers from multiple jurisdictions and multiple detachments coming in to, to try and uh, find the person responsible. And that never even hit the papers. You never heard about it. So I think issues in rural Alberta are not enough of a focus right now when it comes to crime. I hear that people just don't feel safe in their community right now in rural Alberta. And I, I would like to see more on that in this election campaign. Uh, Mayor Gannam, it's nice to see your face again. I, I, I should, I, I mean, I sort of always cut to the chase with you three and I'm just like, here's the mayors, let's rock and roll. And I don't, you know, name your like official titles with the organization with Alberta municipalities. I probably should do that. You know, for example, Mayor, you know, you're vice president and I know that you had a big day on Tuesday. People can check out the website, abmunis.ca. That's Alberta municipalities, some online media events. And, and you hosted this one on Tuesday uh, for about half an hour or so talking about Alberta's $30 billion 
infrastructure deficit and talking about some of the infrastructure challenges that communities are facing. It's part of the Think Alberta Vote Local initiative uh, with Alberta municipalities. Do you think the average Albertan understands things like infrastructure deficits or, or like with me? I, I just realize that when it impacts me personally, because I'm just a selfish human, uh, but maybe we all are. Where, what are you hoping the message is that really resonates with, with the four and a half million people here? For us, it's just bringing awareness to the election campaign. I think a lot of times it can be overshadowed by um, by the campaign itself. I, I personally hate campaigns, whether it's my own or watching from the sidelines. I think that they don't get deep enough into the issues that they're going to be looking after over the next four years, and infrastructure is definitely one of them. And it's not being pinned on any one particular party or one government. Uh, we've been We get to a $30 billion infrastructure deficit, by decades of neglect and not being looked after. So I'd like to see that change happening by our parties right now during that campaign on what they want to do to address it. Uh, it's not as fun or um, exciting to announce $330 million towards wastewater treatment facilities or um, <laughs> underground infrastructure looking after the communities that basically every Albertan deals with every day. The comment was made, and I'm probably stealing somebody's thunder, that if you cut off the federal government and didn't get any of their services, you'd notice it in weeks, maybe a month. If it was a provincial government, it would be days, probably weeks. And if it was municipal government, you'd notice it by the time you left the house in the morning after breakfast. So yeah. making sure that our communities are looked after, that infrastructure is looked after is key and, and maybe should be a little bit more focused through the campaign, but also the questions being asked by the voters, making sure that they're getting the answers that they need to make sure that their communities are safe and healthy. So you guys know this is why everybody loves the Alberta Municipalities Roundtables on Real Talk is because you guys just call them how I see them. I love this. we got a mayor on the record. I hate campaigns, he says. <laughs> I would too. Number one, that's why I'd never go into politics because the idea of door knocking would drive me crazy. There's no way I could do it, but I understand it. It's not sexy, right? Like you said, I mean, you know, investing, a, you know, a quarter or a third of a billion dollars into wastewater treatment or into ensuring that infrastructure can can properly, you know, handle demand and increase demand over the next 50 years. It's not sexy. We talked about this on the show last week about how election cycles are kind of part of the problem um, because, you know, you, you've got people that are looking to get reelected in three or four years. and They got to have proof of performance. Right. And it's pretty tough to get some people looking ahead like for example, city planners do over the next 50 years, right? Uh, Mayor Heron, this this is a bit of a tough question. I don't even know where you're going to take the answer. I don't know how I would either. How do you fix that? How do you, how do you take the impact or the influence of election cycles out of big conversations on things like infrastructure? Well, that that's that's not going to be solved um, in today's conversation around table because we do have to deal with four year election cycle and that's democracy. We get to choose who, who represents us every four years. And I totally support that. Uh, our campaign is really, um, it's called think Alberta vote local. And that's why I love local politics is because there is no parties and we can have hard and tough conversations and the party politics and the divisiveness doesn't exist at our level. And that's why it's really important for us to continue to maintain nonpartisan. You will hear comments from both my colleagues here today um, that are 
all about community and not about NDP or UCP. And it's not about who's to blame. It's just let's let's find solutions and move forward and fix them. And the solutions are, in our opinion, is to really focus and bring the conversation down to your local level. Talk to your talk to the people on the streets about what's important in your community. Your community, and, and of course, it's not just garbage and sewers, because that is our level of government. But in our local government, we we need to have better health care. Right? We're struggling finding doctors in communities across Alberta. It's a healthcare issue, but you have mayors stepping up, and Cold Lake's a great example. They're coming up with their own municipal solution on how to bring in doctors. Why is it that local elected have physician retention committees? That's it's it's wrong. It should be provincial responsibility, but yet you see mayors stepping up and solving it once again. We're pretty proud of what we do, but we honestly need better help from the province. Uh, Mayor Duncan, you're vice president of Alberta municipalities for villages and summer villages. What, what, what's the like? I mean, one of the, the great values of having the three of you join us is we get these spotlights on these communities. It's like we get a better understanding of, of communities that some folks might not visit for a while, might not know a lot about. If you're living in or around Alberta Beach right now and, and you're looking for a family doctor, what's the reality? The reality is you're probably going into Edmonton. Um, we do have a doctor in a neighboring community in Onaway, but you, you can't, they're not accepting new, new patients. They're just, they're over, overrun with, with patients and they do have troubles maintaining a doctor at that facility as well. I recently lost my family doctor and I've had to utilize walking clinics in Edmonton to meet my medical needs. So that's the reality in rural Alberta. I'm fortunate that I'm an hour outside of Edmonton. I can imagine as you go further north or further south that it gets much more difficult to to be able to access a doctor. And in some cases, I hear people traveling hours just to access medical services, which isn't acceptable. And we need to focus on a way not just to recruit new doctors, to retain them once they're here. And a lot of that has to do with how we how we talk about doctors and how we talk about the medical system and ensuring that there's sustainability in the system that we have set up, whatever that system looks like to make sure that we're not looking in the election cycle four years down the road, but we're looking, you know, to make sure that my children, when they're growing up, have doctors and have access to pediatricians for their children. And we, we definitely have to look long term and, and think about Alberta, but look at what's happening in your local community. Mayor Gannon, what's 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 the situation in Wetaskiwin? Uh, you know, somebody's looking for, uh, you know, a, whether they want to go to a medical clinic or they'd like to establish a relation. I, first of all, just real talk, like how how people are operating these days. I don't know if like does the average person uh, and like I'm the son of a family doctor. Obviously, I I, I grew up understanding the, the amazing role that a family physician plays in a community and with families and. I don't, I don't know if do, do people still have that? I mean, I guess in a perfect world, everybody has the family doctor that knew them since they were a kid and they understand their health history and they have that trusted relationship. But a, a lot more people now are going to these, obviously, to the walk in clinics and, and, and maybe people approaching healthcare a little bit differently. But but on recruitment, on retention, on availability and accessibility, you know, how's Wetaskiwin or Central Alberta looking if somebody wants a family doc? We're no different, I think, than. Alberta Beach or St. Albert. I think people are struggling to find that family doctor. Uh, I was in the same situation where my family doctor, who I'd had since I moved here in 90, retired. And now I have I was fortunate enough to find um, a doctor that I can see regularly, but that's not the case for everybody in Wetaskiwin. If you're new to Wetaskiwin or if you haven't, if you don't have that family doctor from 10 years ago, 
you're not getting it. You're going into the walking clinic just like Angela is, or some of my residents are going to the bigger centers to Edmonton, uh, Red Deer, and especially for the higher level of medical needs, going to those other bigger cities to to get that care. And I don't think that you should be waking up in the morning and worrying about whether or not you're going to be looked after in your community. We live in Alberta. If we've got the Alberta advantage, why aren't why aren't we being able to be looked after uh, for the basic needs of just our health? Why do you think? Can you try to answer your own question? <laughs> I I don't know. I I don't think we're different than any other province. I think there's a, a strain on the medical system right across Canada and whether that's just not as many doctors and nurses being available or going through the training or going to school. Um, like a lot of things, maybe that's not a, a sought after career, seeing the, the long hours, the abuse and everything else that nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals face, that as many people aren't looking to that as an option and they just don't see the value for themselves in and everything that comes along with it, not just the job itself. Hmm. Uh, I've got an interesting comment in, in our live chat from Lorne. He's talking specifically about this $30 billion municipal infrastructure deficit. People can read more about this. The Alberta municipalities' resources are really uh, impressive uh, leading up to this election at abmunis.ca. You, you can see that there, some of the details, and then you can go into it and understand the, the background to community building and, and community health care and community safety. And then dig a little deeper and discover for yourself who has the plan, right? Who, who has a plan? Which of these parties to engage meaningfully with municipalities and frontline workers to find these solutions? It's a nonpartisan site. It's a nonpartisan resource. And, and I recommend that Real Talkers check it out. Uh, Lauren says, you know, um, with, with like, especially these 50 and 100 year weather events. We, we talked to a, uh, Mike Flanagan, a wildfire expert, just a number of shows ago. People can check it out in our archive about the undeniable role that climate change is playing. That's evidence. That's science backed uh, in, in wildfires. And obviously Alberta right now is is into one, as we say, with uh, you know brave men and women fighting these wildfires, more than 100 of them, and obviously a lot of them in, in, in really serious states, some of them out of control. Um, does something like a wildfire season or, or heaven forbid, a, a big flood, uh, Mayor Heron, do you think it, does it remind people about the importance of, of infrastructure? I mean, do you think that the, the average person is in tune enough recognizing that these 100-year weather events are not happening every 100 years anymore and it needs to be more of an issue? Are your community members telling you that? Of course, Mayor, when we, and we talk about a $30 million municipal infrastructure deficit, it, that's where it exists fire trucks are municipal infrastructure and you have communities who have fire trucks at the end of their life cycle and they can't afford to replace them because we've got this deficit and underfunding you've got communities that don't have big enough storm pipes that's municipal infrastructure so overland flooding occurs so that's why we're really pushing for um, better investment into community the local level infrastructure because it's at the community level where we're going to be um assessing our vulnerabilities when it comes to climate weather events and where we'll be dealing with them. And so we need to invest in that. And the program we have is going to be fine. It's called the Local Government Fiscal Framework. Um, it will grow with the economy, which we're super excited about. The problem is the base amount that we're starting with is $722 million. We think that's a billion dollars too little. Mm. That's a lot of money. And so any any 
one of those two parties that are really vying for votes, if they were be to promise to increase that pot of money, that would go a long, long way. One of the uh, issues that I don't see a lot of people talking about, um, and and uh, it's very relevant, is the price of oil. Whether Albert, I, I know that Albertans don't want to be talking about this in like 15 years on how reliant the provincial budget is on the price of oil, or at least where the finance minister who's released that budget has pegged or forecasted the price of oil to be. Uh, and generally speaking, I haven't checked this morning, but but oil right now is not where it needs to be for Alberta's budget to meet its projections. That throws a bit of a wrench into the plan, doesn't it, uh, on asking for more money? I mean, you, you look back a year ago and Alberta's so flush what is it, a $13 billion surplus? And we're sitting there like Alberta. It reminded us of like the early 2000s where everybody's trying to decide where we're going to squirrel away all of our extra cash. And then that wasn't the reality. And then it was the reality again. Uh, Mayor Duncan, how does that change the conversation? How does that maybe change the lobby from the municipalities and the ask to the province? I don't think it changes our ask. I We appreciate that province has significant conflicting priorities and many different strings being pulled and everybody has their hand out asking for money. We're, we're very much aware of that and we can appreciate what it is to try and balance a budget being the only level of government that must balance a budget every single year. Uh, so it's important that the province is looking at its revenue and making sure that it has sustainable revenue. But to bring it back down to the local level, at the level of funding that we have in Alberta Beach, we're looking at less than $200,000 a year in LGFF funding. So that forces a small community to, to make really difficult decisions between, you know, subservice infrastructure. So your water lines, your sewer lines that just aren't sexy, although I'll tell you, everybody notices when that sewer line doesn't, doesn't work properly anymore. Or we're investing in roads and the infrastructure that people can see. And when we invest in that subsurface in- infrastructure, it's ensuring that our communities are sustainable for the long term, that we have the things we need to handle uh, increased uh, climate change and, and increased weather events. But then we see our, our curbs crumbling and our roads crumbling and our and our playgrounds falling into disrepair because we're focusing on what's underneath the ground that people don't see. Or conversely, we can, we can make our roads look pretty and we can build a, a playground and, and people can come to our community and think, man, this is a well-maintained community. Look at how beautiful it is. Meanwhile, some of these communities have wooden water lines still underneath the roads. So I I appreciate all of the competing priorities. And it's important that people realize that if this infrastructure isn't funded at the provincial level, it's going to be funded at the municipal level, which is going to be looking at increased property taxes, increased borrowing at the municipal level to try and and make sure that we have the infrastructure we need to, to have safe, healthy communities. Uh, so the money the money has to come from somewhere. And if it's not provincial, it'll be through your property taxes. And can I just add, Ryan, if we don't have a community that has good infrastructure, you're not going to attract the labor and the doctors that we just talked about and the investment. And so as we continue to try to diversify our, our economy and not depend on oil, you need to have a foreign investment into communities like Alberta Beach and Wetaskiwin. And there's, the, there's opportunities for... Um, Canadians and Albertans outside of Edmonton and Calgary to invest. And that's where the economy will grow. But we cannot attract that if we've got crumbling infrastructure. I want to let everybody know uh, that, uh, you know, Alberta municipalities is sponsoring a bunch of uh, Chamber of Commerce candidates forums between now and Election Day. That's Monday, May 29th. So uh, that included events this week already in Airdrie and Red Deer. 
uh, candidates forums coming up in Lethbridge and Fort McMurray in coming weeks. So if that's your neck of the woods, uh, you can learn more at abmunis.ca. Uh, I, I know, obviously, a lot of this election campaign storylines, quite frankly, and, and media coverage uh, ha- has been dominated by I'm not going to ask you about them. Don't worry. But like kind of like bozo eruptions, basically, uh, you know, unflattering sound clips and the like. Uh, I was talking to Graham Thompson, the veteran political journalist, a couple of days ago, and I asked him if he thinks that all of this, you know, all of the, the kerfuffle around everything is 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 number one, giving the NDP a pass. Right. Not a lot of people are digging into the NDP platform. Everybody's talking about the UCP. But it also means that a lot of the issues aren't being discussed, uh, quite frankly. And you want an informed and engaged electorate. You want people voting for something. And so I want to ask the three of you, uh, as we wrap, to put your plea to the public. I mean, to, to put something on folks' radar. Let's try right now to refocus uh, some of the direction of where this campaign is going or this election period. What's one of the things we've talked about infrastructure? We've talked about health care. We've talked about community safety. Uh, Mayor Gannon, maybe we go with you first. What, what, what's one thing? Somebody's walking their dog, listening to this podcast. One thing you want them thinking about before they decide who they're going to vote for. Put your political stripe aside. Make sure that you're reading into the, what their mandate is, what their platform is, what their plan is to do over the next four years. Um, who you voted for in the last election or who your family has voted for in previous elections shouldn't be relevant. Let's start working towards the the solutions at a municipal level, it doesn't matter which level of, or which order of government um, is in power. It comes down to the people in each of the communities. So start looking at what your community needs are, what your personal and family needs are, and base your vote on that. Not what you've done historically, not the rhetoric and through social media or, or mainstream media. Dig into it a little bit and find out what it is that you're voting for. It goes a whole lot deeper than the MLA you're voting for. It goes a whole lot deeper than um, what you're hearing through the media channels and be informed, be an informed voter. And I think that would be my biggest plea to any election, making sure that you're understanding who it is that you're voting for, why you're voting for them and the impact it's going to have for your community. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I appreciate you, you know, for people put their political stripes aside. It, it's it's a very there there are so many interesting storylines this election. Uh, you look at the last election. I know it didn't go the way the Alberta party wanted uh with, with zero seats in the legislature, but still 170,000 votes. That's a lot of votes. They had 87 candidates nominated last election if I remember correctly. That that's a full slate. You got like 19 this time around. So there's going to be a lot of people that that voted for the Alberta party. A couple hundred thousand almost that are going to be looking elsewhere potentially. You have a change in leadership with the conservatives. That could influence how people vote either for them or not for them anymore. Uh, It's the first time in Alberta's history that you've got two former premiers running against each other. Uh, So you've got track records in office to compare and contrast. There's there's a ton of storylines to follow for sure. Uh, Mayor Duncan, what's, what's your takeaway for this audience? Well, everything that Mayor Gandam said, but I think it's important, you know, when you're out walking your dog, as you mentioned, that you think about what's going to make improvements in your own backyard, what's what's going to make improvements in your community and what's going to make your quality of life better. 
and and not just in the immediate. I mean, we like to think about the immediate. We like to see immediate results, but things take time, and that four-year election cycle can make it really hard to look long-term. So I would encourage Albertans to think not just about the impact that those decisions have tomorrow and next year, but what is the long-term implications of, of the impacts on who you're voting for. So make sure that you understand the issues, you know the party platforms, and you know the impact it's going to have on your life and your community and the lives of your children. Mm, well said. Uh, the president of Alberta Municipalities gets the last word. Mayor Heron to you. Appreciate that, Ryan. I actually have a specific one. I think what we should be talking about, what is we're not hearing about during the mm. campaign. And for me, that's RCMP and mm. the future of provincial policing. We're not hearing about it at all. It's been very quiet for the last three or four months. Um, our current premier was very public in her support for provincial policing during the leadership race. And now she's not talking about it. So I, I, I fear that um, after the election, uh, if the UCP are empowered, they will think they have a mandate to go with provincial policing. We did a survey with Janet Brown. 85% of Albertans want um, to have a say in whether we move over to a provincial policing and away from RCMP. So that would be my thing is when you talk to anyone running on e for either party, what's your position on provincial policing? And will you commit to um, what we hear right now is it's still not decided, but that's not that's not good enough for me, honestly. And, and just like Tyler said, we got to vote. I think there's a lot of Albertans that are party list like they're confused the alberta party was a great option four years ago and now we don't have that and the ndp seem like moderate ucps maybe are over on the right and people are confused and so you really have to make sure you you vote because that, that's what i'm hearing is people are just so confused that they won't they won't vote hmm. and that's not going to bode well well, listen, I think that that's one of the reasons why conversations like this one right here are so important. Uh, we want to hit issues head on. We want to get the numbers in front of people and help people understand. I mean, like three mayors right here from different communities, different populations, uh, kind of laying out the issues. And then again, the resource at, at abmunis.ca, that's the Alberta Municipalities website, the Think Alberta Vote Local campaign. I implore you to check it out. Uh, a really great resource as you decide who you'll vote for on Monday May 29th. To the three of you, thanks for doing this and, and, and have a wonderful weekend. We appreciate your time. Thanks, thanks Ryan. Ryan. Take yeah, care. You got it. And oh, what did she say? Let's get Mayor Heron, what was that? I said, go Oilers. Oh, go, yeah, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Woo! It's Friday. 100%. It is Friday. Go Oilers. Yeah, we're, we're, we may not be talking about this enough. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> thanks to the three of you. We appreciate it. Uh, that conversation, of course, presented uh, by our friends at Alberta Municipalities, and I implore you to check out that website it is a good one um this whole show is made possible by sponsors like apex automation and they're putting out the call to professional engineers across the country and beyond hey if this podcast has somehow found you and you're halfway around the world and you've heard about alberta and you've heard about the amazing job opportunities here and you happen to be a png or maybe you're on your way there maybe you're enrolled in an engineering school right now it's never too soon to check out the We Are Hiring link at apexautomation.ca. This is a company that is absolutely leading the way in providing intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry. They're giving people back their time. Experts in things like autonomous vehicles and machinery, advanced process controls, robotics, all the cool stuff. If this sounds like a great career move for you, then don't delay. Check out apexautomation.ca today. I know I was pretty proud of myself for that one, Johnny. You know what else I'm pretty proud of myself for? 
having a Mother's Day plan. Yeah, this weekend. I got, I got a Mother's Day. Yeah, thanks. I'm just going to strain my <laughs> elbow here, patting myself on the back. If you don't have a plan, Friesen Brothers has your back. That's right. It's an all-you-can-eat Mother's Day brunch, uh, May 13th. That's Saturday, May 14th. Sunday is $25 all you can eat for, I mean, all the brunch favorites, of course, and some custom desserts as well. Uh, these are all prepared by the Friesen Brothers uh, Red Seal chefs at all their fresh market stores. You can check out all the details online at Friesen.com. When you bring mom in for that brunch, they're also going to hook her up with a free flower, which is a really nice touch. And Johnny, I wanted to give a shout out. Check out Friesen Brothers on Instagram right now. Their Fox Creek store is currently closed due to wildfire. You know what they're doing? They've got all their chefs in there. They've got their Red Seal baker in there, mm-hmm. and they're preparing food for the firefighters. Oh, amazing. How great is that? That's you amazing. can follow yeah, Friesen yeah. Brothers on Instagram and be sure to check that out. Kubi Energy is hiring. If, if you're a, I mean, either a, a journeyman electrician or maybe an apprentice on your way there, and you want to be part of the green energy movement, the sustainable energy movement in Canada, why not check out kubienergy.ca? This is where the future is going, but John, the future is now. And you could be working in BC, Alberta, Northwest Territories, or into Saskatchewan. Kubi Energy is Western Canada's busiest solar installer. And uh, by the way, they're now a licensed engineering company as well. One of the only solar installers permitted to perform engineering through APEGA. That means you can rest assured their team of professional engineers ensure that all projects are completed to the highest standards. And if all this talk about the job market has you thinking about maybe better preparing yourself, You're maybe looking at all the opportunity that's out there and thinking, gosh, I got to make a leap right now, a leap in the right direction. There's thousands of Canadians that'll tell you the best move you can make is checking out Athabasca University. Now, we talk a lot about how you work and learn at your own pace at Athabasca U. You never fall behind because you're dictating the the pace of your studies. You want to hammer down and complete your undergraduate degree more quickly than others? No problem. You need to press pause. Maybe there's a family issue. Maybe there's a personal situation. No problem. But check this out. It also ties into how it's all funded. All of AU's courses are pay-as-you-go. You pay for each course only when you register for it. And of course, all those fees include textbooks and, and access to a tutor and their success center. I mean, they just do it differently. They do it better at Athabasca University. You can learn more about the application process and what your future might look like at AU by visiting them online at AthabascaU.ca. Sunday's a big day for our next guest. Uh, we're going to chat with Omar Mualim in just a minute, but first, here's a look at his masterpiece, The Lebanese Burger Mafia. It's a chain restaurant that went wrong, and the food is, there's no quality control between them, but I love them. It's been a photocopy of a photocopy of a print of a photocopy. There's all these variations, and I don't know if that's part of the charm. There is no actual system. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing with Burger Baron. It's so mysterious. And the Burger Baron, like who is that guy? There was people I'm sure that thought maybe we were doing something legal. It's almost like the Burger Mafia. It's a territorial business. My Burger Baron is better than his Burger Baron. Was a civil war. 
My best friends are Christians, my best friends are Muslims, and suddenly each one has to disappear. Your only way out is the water. We lost everything. We decided this is not the place to raise a family. I was thinking I'll give them empire of a, of a restaurant. I'm the owner, and whatever happened is my decision. We have such a strong uh, independence. A franchise system doesn't really work well with us. I run everything on my own. I don't deal nothing with a company franchise. I do nothing. I on my own. I think the biggest obstacle is trying to band everyone together to realize that things could be stronger as opposed to just being a mean. That's the problem with the Lebanese mentality. They cannot accept one person in charge. It's against their genes. Kitchen, soon as you step. So good to have you back at Man, studio. So good to be here. I re- like I remember you and I have been talking about this project of yours. Uh, it's like so cliche to call it like your labor of love, but but this is something yeah. that, a project you've cared deeply about. I remember back to the early crowdfunding days, and look at you now. Well, it's it's a real movie. It's out. We did it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean this this started as a as a short film and in uh, 2021, and even before it was released as a short, we just could feel a lot of excitement, more excitement than I expected for a Burger Baron story. And um, and so, yeah, we started crowdfunding in, in 2021 and we wanted to make this into a feature film. We knew there was enough, forgive the pun, meat on the bone here to tell this as a, as a 90 minute story. And 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 we did it. And it, and we had our world premiere last last weekend in Toronto at Hot Docs. And it was it was amazing. Tell me about it. Like, how, how do you feel when that happens? Oh, it was it was fucking dope, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, uh, I mean, we've we've known each other for a while. You 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 know me. You know, m- most people who who know my work know me better as like a, as a print journalist. And uh, I did study film in college twenty years ago. So it took only about twenty years to get <laughs> get back on this road. And so this was like, this yeah, is, but you've been busy winning like magazine awards. <laughs> and, you know, I've been busy learning how to tell a story. Sure. And so that's and, and so, you know, the opportunity came to make this movie, which which did start as an article 10 years ago called Will the Real Burger Baron Please Stand Up? The the story that will follow me for the rest of my life. I became the burger guy because of that. Um, and so this, you know, Hot Docs was not just like my opportunity to show my first feature film, but also like my first film festival. And it was so cool to be like the scrappy little indie Alberta movie there. Um you know, our our movie was made for less than two hundred thousand dollars, which is small budget for sure. And I think it really took people by surprise. There, we sold out both of our screenings. Um, you could just feel like a lot of buzz for it. I think people just, you know, the name intrigues people. Yeah. Um, and and it was really cool to see like this non Alberta audience come out for it because they didn't really have any context for it. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was great. I mean, I just came back buzzing, and and now we get to do it all again. But it, uh, you know, with our with our hometown premiere on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, so cool. So you're closing out Northwest Fest on Sunday, which is really neat. I mean, it's it's kind of cool. Like if if you're at, a, I mean, it's it's great. You 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 release a film, you want it to be in a film festival, no matter what. But to either have opening night or closing night is pretty sweet. Yeah, especially in your hometown, you feel pretty good. Yeah. I mean, just yeah, the 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 love that Northwest. Fest is showing us is unbeatable. Yeah, people can check out northwestfest.ca by the way, but uh, they can't get tickets. 
Because you're yeah, sold out, sold pal. Out, man. We're sold Congratulations. out. Thank you. There are still other films streaming. Streaming. Let me be clear. Uh, yep. Why am I saying streaming? Am I like a child <laughs> of 2020? There are films that are. Well, a lot of festivals are, pro- are doing a hybrid. Thing, sure, right? but they, so, no, but, but but let me be clear. Let me be clear. You do got to get Northwest out to Fest is actually projecting films onto yes. screen where they belong. With, so you, you can't know, make it to ours. Popcorn. That is fine. Lots of great documentaries playing between now and Sunday, and we'll have more screenings in Edmonton for sure. We're working on it right now. Yeah. Fact, so that's pretty cool to sell out a theater though. Yeah. Like that's, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, the Metro public, of all places. Yeah. An iconic theater for people that don't it's know sick. in Edmonton. It's, it's <laughs> like the best theater. They sell beer there, which I love. And, uh, the popcorn is excellent. And it's just, it's old school. It's vintage. Oh, I love it. You know, we, we talked about, I don't know if you saw only in theaters, but that was, uh, you know, one of the films that, that, that has been screening at, at uh, Northwest fest. And just that idea around the cinema and the tradition of going to the cinema back in the day and how, I mean, I don't know. Am I getting too abstract here? Talking no, about there's, something re- there's something really wonderful about that. I mean, it was it was great to do this story as a, as a short film streaming on, on CBC Gem. Um, but it is it is a real saga. Like, I don't think people really appreciate, I certainly didn't really appreciate it until we started making the film and then we were hiring a crew in California, hiring a crew in Lebanon, telling this expansive 60-year story that connects, like, you know, an, an American entrepreneur moving to Canada to start, like, the McDonald's of the North to the Civil War of Lebanon to rural Alberta. It's, it is this transnational saga all told through this humble fast food chain that you know mostly yeah p- there there's a real cult following people do love like people do stand for burger baron but it's mostly the subject of ridicule if if not maybe like some curiosity but like how does this place still exist yes you know there's there's a lot of sort of like suspicion about cuz you know a lot of them look like dives right uh-huh. so there's like a lot of suspicion That's the about charm, like, the, that is the That's charm. the whole point it is can I, like, could I, I know what would happen if I opened, like, a Dairy Queen right now without the franchise rights and without the rights to the brandy. And I, <laughs> but I would if be, you opened I, a Dairy King. Su- a Dairy King. <laughs> I would be sued immediately. But but can I, like, could I literally just open a burger? I could open a Burger Baron. I could rip off the branding. I could kind of customize or tweak the menu. That's I don't, kind of I don't want to say gone, you right? can do it. You don't, don't want to give I don't, the green light. No, because there is, like, so for the past, um, what would it be, like, not quite 20 years, about 15 years or so, there has been um, a properly trademarked, you know, corporation called Burger Baron, um, and it was uh, latently uh, re-registered by the widow of the founder, Ricky McDonald. Um, and but her attempt to kind of rein this in, and her her son's attempt, who James McDonald, who who is now the you know the the, I guess the, the president of this corporation, have not gone well because there is the the question of whether that trademark that intellectual property was even properly passed down whether it could hold any legal ground like is totally up in the air and so you do still see occasionally some knockoffs including one in Tofield that opened recently um really called burger barons <laughs> right <laughs> burger barons um <laughs> What? Yes. So, um, however, like just just the fact that this exists has definitely prevented m- more than usual, like Burger Barons, from opening. More often, they're closing. But what you're seeing now is restaurants that are pretty much Burger Barons, 
with a different name. So if you drive around rural Alberta, you'll, you've probably heard of a place called uh, Ramsey's. I think they have about three locations. Like this is essentially a Burger Baron. It has the Burger Baron recipes. It's Lebanese owned, um, but you know they don't they don't want the headache of possibly some sort of legal you know um, argument or conflict. So they're just going safely with a different name. What's the Lebanese connection to all of this? Yeah. Okay. So I I mean I grew up in a Burger Baron. I'm the son of Lebanese immigrants, grew up in High Prairie. My dad opened up a burger baron there when um, I was just a baby. And so um, I noticed, uh, you know, as we went, <laughs> as we went to different burger barons, usually on like hockey trips, uh, that all the owners were Lebanese. And so I just assumed that the founder had to be Lebanese, right? Um, and it turns out that that's, that's not quite the case. Um, the founder was this was this Irish American entrepreneur named Jack McDonald, and yes, that is his real name. I know uh, that's so funny. <laughs> that man. is so great. How did so many little wrinkles? McDonald's. I know, <laughs> like, I know. Um, well, because probably he was like, he "I'll get, get sued. sued for sure." <laughs> that's how. Yeah, yeah that's how. Um, but but it was very successful for a few years, but it kind of collapsed under its own success, um, and then it went bankrupt, and the, the IP wasn't properly passed down, and who would want to continue on with this like orphaned you know, corporate brand? Well, Rudy Kamaldine, this shrewd Lebanese immigrant would, and so he bought a location, had great success. I mean, he put in the, the sweat and tears and that immigrant grit that I think the, the like, Canadian franchisees didn't, and it, it kind of resuscitated the brand. And then he just continued to open more Burger Barons, bring relatives from Lebanon, train them, they apprentice with him, and then they go open their own Burger Baron in another small town. So not to, you know, so not to uh, have a rivalry there. Um, and so he did this from like the, the generosity of his heart. Um, but as it proliferated, it kind of got out of control. Lebanese people not really famous for getting along, or rather, they, they get along, but they're not famous for collaborating. Okay. Right? And and uh, taking orders from someone. Fiercely independent people. I mean, you can go back hundreds, maybe thousands of years to like Phoenician society and see sort of like the thread there of that culture. Um, and so eventually it just became part of the collective conscience of of. Uh, uh, conscious of, of, of Lebanese immigrants in Western Canada, my family included. And so it, it became this pathway to the immigrant dream. I mean, this, the, the success I've had in my life, the opportunities I've had in my life, um, and so many of my relatives as well of second generation Canadians, we owe that to, to the Burger Baron and this like Alberta institution, um, that, uh, you know, still has a very, very strong fond place in people's hearts. When did you know, like, when did you go, this this has legs? I mean, I'm sitting here and you're, ta you're, you're laying out wonderfully how this is, it's, it's, it's essentially like an, an immigration success story, a big one. Yeah. And then on the smaller scale, each location or each family or each individual person. But at what point were you like, this needs to be the full length feature film? Was there one <laughs> hook that you were like, this needs to be 90 minutes? Yeah, I, th I think so. Um I think the moment that I realized that was when, because like I'd been working on, you know, I did that article 10 years ago. I didn't really understand the connection to the Lebanese Civil War. Like I'm embarrassed to say I didn't understand that the Civil War and the, and the war refugees is actually what brought so many Canadians here uh, that where they ended up in the Burger Barons. And that's how it really, really proliferated. Um, and so one of the first interviews was with um, 
uh, Jihad and, and Rima Shahayab in, in Redwater, this lovely, lovely couple um, in, uh, that owns a burger baron there. And as we're talking to them and getting to know their story of how they ended up here and ended up in Burger Baron, I was, it was just this astonishing story of a highly skilled um, banker um, in Beirut who tried to hold on, keep his family there for as long as possible during the Civil War, and just uh, their house was bombed. And their two little kids, who I think were three and seven years old, were trapped with them under the rubble. Mm. And the the village came out and and pulled them out and saved their lives. And that was the moment where like, we can't do this anymore. And so they came to Alberta where they had some relatives, but this highly skilled person could not get a job Mm. in, in the financial sector here. Um, despite having a degree from, from, I think the university of Houston or something. Mm. And so they did what they could do. They worked in a burger baron with a relative until they learned the trade secrets and then were able to, open their own and that that story was just i wanted so badly to tell that story in the short film but at, with 44 minutes we just had to kind of blaze through it yeah. and there were many versions of the story and so i wanted to give these characters their stories um sorry these subjects i want to give their stories justice and so that's when i started i, I guess maybe to give myself some comfort be like, that's okay. We can do a longer version of this movie. Mm. We can tell these stories. We don't have to do it all at once. There will be another opportunity. And that's, that's when I started planning for the feature. And, you know, props to, to my producers, Blake McWilliam and, and Dylan Howard for like believing, believing in this, in this story and, and, and believing in, in, I guess my, my hope and, and my vision that this could actually be a theatrical film that people will come out in droves to see. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, fantastic. How cool, by the way, to interview your parents. This has got to yeah, be kind of cool. Yeah, it's fine. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Like your daddy's like, I never slap a guy in <laughs> your face. Like I just, uh, for context there, maybe you can tell that story. It's so funny. Yeah. People can see it in the film. But Oh, yeah. there's so many great moments like that. Uh, my, my dad's my dad's a gem. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, these, small, these restaurants, they... They mostly exist in small towns where there's just like not a large immigrant population, let alone a Middle Eastern and Muslim population. And so, you know, we we had to tell the story of like some of the the hardships that they have faced as being like aliens and in, you know, in these in these communities, especially like in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and so I'm asking my dad this, like, you know, did you ever face racism? Like, did you ever face these hardships? And he's like, uh, nope, no, this is something I've wanted to tell you. I've been here for 50 years and I've never slapped a guy <laughs> or gotten a slap. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> and it's, it's, my mom had to step in and be like, it's a bad translation from Arabic. What he's saying is he never got in a fight with someone you know, for some racist shit. Yeah. But which also kind of spoke to something else there, which is that like the first generation Canadians, they're, they're sort of non-confrontational and they see like, they don't see, um, you know, someone uh, saying something prejudice or racist to them as, as the problem. They, you know, they often just see it as like par for the course. Hey, we're immigrants. That's just what we got to deal with. And it's the second generation that recognizes this as a real problem. So the fact that my dad was like, Oh no, I've never had any problems. I mean, people have said things, but I've never slapped them for it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
entry level problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we never exactly. resorted to violence. People need to see the film because even if for no other reason than to see your face in responding <laughs> to his comment, it just it made me it made me laugh out loud. So it's amazing. Um, I, I'm so happy for you. I'm proud of you as a friend of yours Thank and somebody you. that's known you for a long time. I know that Sunday is going to be a really special night with a packed house at yeah. Metro Cinema as you wrap up Northwest Fest, and, and of course we'll let people know as well that the Rainbow Visions Film Festival also uh, kicked today. Um, they're running parallel basically for for the first time, which is a, a really neat partnership. Can I ask? Is this an annoying question for you? And we're, you're here talking about your film, but what's next? I mean, people follow your career with great interest. You've always got writing projects on the yeah. go. What's next for Omar Mualim? Uh, I am working on another documentary right now. I'm, I'm kind of keeping this story under wraps. The the element of surprise is important. Can to the you give story. us? Oh, it, okay. Can you give us like just a tiny little tidbit? It, for me? It, it involves wrestling. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. That's um, good. That's good. And uh, you know, at Hot Talks, me and Dylan were were pitching a bunch of new projects to a bunch of studios and distributors and streaming platforms, and I got a, a good feeling that something's going to come out of that. So excellent. Well, stay yeah. tuned. People can follow you on Twitter at Omar Mualim. Uh, they can check out BurgerBaronMovie.com. Uh, for more on the film and of course Northwest Fest uh, the International Documentary Festival and Rainbow Visions Film Festival screening back to back you've still got a couple of days as mentioned all the way through till Sunday as Northwest Fest wraps um, to check out some amazing feature films a lot of them I mean they've been screening uh, the hottest films straight from Sundance Hot Dogs like Omar's uh, South by Southwest and others um, all the details tickets and other news at northwestfest.ca can I just plug one thing? Of course. Our, our Instagram account, Burger Baron Movie, that is the best way to keep on top of when, when there will be new screenings and, uh, yeah, and new showings. So, Burger Baron Movie. Yeah. Instagram is becoming more... How, where, are you, where do you stand on the whole Twitter thing right now, by the way? Um, yeah, increasingly ambivalent. Me too. Like, as in, like, ambivalent about the, the politics behind, but also ambivalent on, like, whether I use it today or not. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Twitter used to be such a... I mean, it still kind of is a bit of a big deal. Um, I was, you know, getting in a fight with someone on Twitter just this morning. Omar. Oh, how wonderful! Yeah, that's great. Um, and, uh, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm only half joking. And uh, did you want to slap the still, guy? <laughs> well, no. You know what? I mean, do you want? It, 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 they, they didn't like our. They didn't like my conversation yesterday uh, about Palestine. They didn't like my conversation uh, yesterday about violence oh, in the Gaza yeah. Strip. And, yeah. And that's and, and that's kind of par for the course on that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, did you expect us to take this hard swerve and start talking about the Middle East? Um, what? But, you know, you know, not really. <laughs> I, it, it comes with the territory. If, you're gonna, yeah, yeah. If, if I have a guest on, a Zionist guest on, I'm going to hear from Palestinian Canadians. If I have a Palestinian guest on, uh, people uh, obviously, you know, I don't want to say sympathetic to Israel because I know that people have complicated relationships and allegiances. Sure. But they, they, but they I don't appreciate like it, you talking fine. about it because I, I well, think 100%. that the, the the people who will um, censure people for taking, you know maybe a pro-Palestinian stance or just not going full, um, you know, taking the full sort of pro-Zionist stance. They they censure and they are loud for a reason, because they would rather we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. They would rather keep us silent on Mm -hmm. it. I've been to West Bank. I have seen with my own eyes just how oppressive and ugly it is. And the occupation is, it is a horrible violence against a people. And I'll say that right now. And anyone who doesn't, who thinks that, oh, it's just like, it's complicated. We don't want, like, mm-hmm. you haven't seen it. You haven't been there. Yeah. I mean, it's and, really not that complicated. Pe- people can see how it, it's unfolding on Twitter. And these are, these are some high profile individuals. And by the way, they're, they're friends of mine. So 
you know, but like conservative senior staffers, Ariella Kimmel, uh, Blaze Bomer, people know these names. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're, I don't know why I'm dragging this into the show. Why not? Fuck, it's Friday. Let's talk. <laughs> um, they're like, you know, you didn't push back hard enough when he says uh, Hamas is only an entity. Hamas is only there because of Israel. If Israel wasn't occupying the territory, then Hamas wouldn't exist. And they're saying, well, you're basically giving him a pass. You didn't push back hard enough on, on Hamas targeting civilians in Israel. And you're basically condoning acts of terror. I'm sitting there going like, if we're going to have a conversation right now on targeting civilians, it's pretty tough optics to, to take the Israeli side on the argument right now, uh, you know, considering what this last week has looked like. The UN Secretary General condemning Israel this week. So, um, you know, it's okay with me. Let me go on the record to say this. It's fine uh, with me if some of the conversations on this show make you uncomfortable. Some of the conversations on this show make me terribly uncomfortable, but that's kind of the whole point. Right. And if somebody uh, listens to an interview, a longer form interview on this show where somebody can free flow their thoughts and say what they really think, you know, real talk, it's the name of the thing. Uh, and, and they change their mind, then fine. If it reiterates the position they already held, that's fine too. Uh, but I'd rather have the conversations and drag some of this into the light and have us wrestle with some of the issues than not at all. You can you can uh, at me instead of Ryan today if you're if you're <laughs> if you're pissed off about something that was said. Well, in the that last was ultimately that was ultimately what I what I said to them <laughs> as well to my to my friends that are taking issue with the interview. I said, take it up with him. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to like I don't I don't I don't sort of like make sure that I that I ideologically yeah. align with every one of my guests before I talk to them. Right? It's it's a talk show, uh, reiterating the purpose of the talk show, which is to get people thinking. I didn't think we'd talk about that, but uh, you know what I love? One of the things I love about you, pal, is that we could talk about anything, anything. and I know you'd be good to go on it. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, of course, we consider you to be such a great friend, and uh, congratulations on so. upcoming on Sunday Thank night. Thank you. Thanks so much for That's having me Omar on That's Omar Mualem, uh, an award-winning print journalist and, uh, and, of course, filmmaker as well. Uh, you can check out Instagram, uh, the account there, Burger Baron Movie. You want to sit in the chair while I just blow off some steam on some emails here? Yeah, go for it. We do it every Friday. It's presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. It's an opportunity for you to say what you need to say and have thousands of people hear it. We call it Trash Talk! All right, this one leading us off is Jeff, who says, uh, Jespo... Talking about these new passports, the Canadian passports everybody's pissed off about. I, I need to share my opinion. I don't give a shit what my passport looks like or what's on it. Uh, as long as it gets me into another country and back into Canada, that's fine with me. Jeff, nailed it. My position exactly. How about this one from Lori? Lori's talking about a story that kind of flew under the radar last month. Alberta's trying to figure out how to deal with the shortage of school bus drivers. So it's relaxing its class two certification. Doesn't require the training it used to. It actually brings Alberta in line with all the other provinces, but Lori's not having any of it. She says, I'm so angry I can barely form words. You know, places that teach these school bus drivers, they're, they're scrambling to find meaning. The people that have been training them in past, like, did the government just eliminate the jobs of all these instructors? When the government knows what it did, potentially the safety of students, how are they going to get instructors back? Learn on the job? Driving a school bus? Nobody even knows what's happening anymore. Listen, there's a lot to learn. It is so dangerous, says Lori, driving a bus near a school. Cars dropping off, picking up, drivers unpredictable, drivers have to be trained and tested. This decision out of Alberta is mind-blowing. That from Lori. And this one from Monty, who says election time is here. Jespo, if you had a live studio audience, you'd hear, yay, boo! 
Now, last fall on your show, you had the various leadership candidates for the United Conservatives on the show. Through the campaigns, the appearances on Real Talk, they made all kinds of statements like, I will do this, I will do that, this is what I stand for. Well, I'd like to know where those people are. Like, where did they go? As soon as this election was over, the leadership race, anything they claimed to stand for, just poof, vanished. They fell silent. And since day one of Danielle Smith's tenure, we've seen repeated lies, retractions, gaffes. I mean, even association with noted domestic terrorists, says Monty. So where were those that were seeking that leadership that made the bold proclamations that they have what it takes to lead this party forward? Not just silence, but falling in line, right? Numerous issues they could speak up on and nothing but silence or even support. You know, I bring this up, of course, because these individuals that are putting out information, like trying to twist us all up, like how screwed up do you have to be to try to make this happen, to try to pull this wool over our eyes? All this tells me, says Monty, is that the people that were seeking this leadership didn't actually have leadership qualities at all. He says, I don't see integrity. I don't see character. What I see are cowards of the highest order, craven, small, unethical individuals that their families should be ashamed of. Monty. He says they're not leaders. They're opportunists. They're willing to go with whatever will get them further along. They're part of the problem, not the solution. It's not a bug in the party. It's a feature. This is who they are. When somebody shows you who they are the first time, believe them. The people of Alberta deserve better. Constituents deserve better. How far are these people willing to degrade themselves just to win? That from Monty, giving us something to think about. You can send us your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Proudly presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. We've got an incredible week next week coming up. We're talking about election issues that matter. We're talking about the economy. We're talking about health care. We're talking about the opioid crisis and a couple of roundtables you will not want to miss with some of Canada's best political commentators. It's all part of real talk thanks for listening or watching we'll see you soon real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford technical producer john hicks general manager katie cook chivers account coordinator lawrence derlego human resources lena shepherd website design mike johnston Voiceover by me, Terry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.